Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg from the Caregiver's Space. Say hello, Adrian. Hello. <laughs> Coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on 25, count them, 25 global audio video platforms including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook Live, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, and 20 more platforms all around the world. And we are so proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and one of the top six best podcasts on Caring.com, as well as number three podcast out of thousands of caregiver podcasts on Feedspot. And we have an exciting show planned for you today. We're talking to Barry Jacobs and Julia Meyer. And they've been married over 30 years, and they have a book, an amazing book out, and we're going to be talking about that. It's Love and Meaning After 50, and 10 Challenges to Great Relationships and How to Overcome Them. What a great show. Um, Barry and Julia, welcome to the show, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I like to ask my guests just who is Barry and Julia, and why were they put on this earth? Go right ahead. That is a very big question. I don't know if I can answer that. Big question. <laughs> but I'm uh, Julia Mayer. I'm a psychologist, and um, Barry and I both work uh, clinically, and we've written this book together. It's our second book together, and we are still married. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. And, and I'm... Uh, and I'm Barry Jacobs. I'm also a clinical psychologist. I'm a family therapist. I also nowadays work as a healthcare consultant for Health Management Associates, a national healthcare consulting firm. And, you know, Julie and I have been doing family caregiving work for 25 years, but this time around we decided to do a book specifically about marriages for, uh, for, and, and just long-term relationships for people over the age of 50 because we've, we saw many of our clients, many of our friends whose marriages or relationships were floundering or, or even you know, dissolving uh, in their 50s, in their 60s, when, when it, which seemed rather surprising to us. And then we learned that, in fact, the number of, 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 of Americans who divorced over the age of 50 uh, has doubled in the last 20 years. And for those over the age of 65, it's tripled in the last wow. 20 years. Really? Over 65 is tripled? It's yes. tripled. It's not a, a large number, but it's tripled from a small number to a somewhat larger number. Wow. People are living longer, I guess, and so weird. They're, looking, they're looking for something new. Well, <laughs> more, reinventing themselves. That's correct. It's certainly one of the reasons. I mean, people want, you figure they, you know, they hit 65, they got 20 more good years left, perhaps. <laughs> And they figure, you know, why not look for true love now? Because I'm, I'm with this other person. I don't really, uh, we have a kind of a lukewarm relationship. I want better. And so 
they, they decide to take a chance. Or they see that the other person is becoming uh, ill and they don't want to take care of that other person over time. So even before the caregiving starts, they bail out. Yeah, or, I didn't see that for this. I, you got it. <laughs> or or they're, you know, the baby boomer generation, which is the generation now that's, you know, late 50s, early 60s, going to the 70s. Uh, that generation has divorced more than any other generation before or since. Mm-hmm. And so, so baby boomers, many of whom had divorced earlier in life, they, they may have a lower threshold for divorcing later in life, but, they, but baby boomers have this belief that they're entitled to better. So they're always <laughs> looking for better. You know, we're, and I'm saying that because, you know, and I, I, I can get away with saying that because we're both baby boomers. So, um, but that, you know, there, so there are a number of reasons why, why we think that, that folks are divorcing at this age. And th- this is some of what we explore in our book. And may I propose one more possible reason is that maybe uh, uh, they realize that maybe after moving into a assisted living place together, that if they get a divorce, they get a better tax deal. That does I, I actually know someone well, who did. Penalty. Is that what it's called? Because I met a lot of seniors at senior centers and, and they're dating and, and I said, well, why don't you guys get married? He said, are you kidding? If I get married, I'll lose some of my social security or this and that, you know, whatever the reason is. So um, thank you, United States government for encouraging divorce. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is amazing. I mean, I, I never would have guessed. I thought the longer you're together, the greater the chances that you'll stay together, but go figure. Well, illness happens the older you get, obviously. And, you know, I used to do a lot of work at senior centers, so I would see the dynamic. And uh, first of all, when I hit 55, I was amazed that I was eligible now to <laughs> to join the senior <laughs> center and to move into an assisted living place. I didn't do it, uh, any of that, but I did join the senior center because um, I would sing at the lunch hour, and you know they were deaf; they they couldn't hear me, so they enjoyed it. <laughs> but, um, it was interesting. It was almost like being back in junior high. You know, there there were cliques, and there were gossips, and there were jealousies, and and uh, you know it, it was just very incredible how we go back to our roots, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's illness, and and there's Alzheimer's, and there's uh, you know heart disease, and this and that. What roles do illness? Uh, and aging play in um, marriage and divorce, and and what what has been your experience just in observing and in writing your book? I'm sure you did a lot of research. Well, as Barry said, that when a couple sees caregiving on the horizon, and if their bond is not really great, one of them may decide they don't want to stick around to caregive the other. And we've certainly seen couples where, for example, a husband has diabetes that he doesn't take care of adequately, and the wife is sort of seeing the writing on the wall 10 years ahead that she may be having to push him in a wheelchair and and their marriage isn't strong enough to sustain that. So our book is really to help people strengthen their bond so that they will want to stay there. I think I was saying that um, our, our hope is that couples will want to take care of each other as they age in sickness and in health but they so really need to be hard, right? <laughs> yes, ideally. Um, but a lot of couples, uh, if they're not feeling a good, strong bond, they're dreading that possibility. And it is part of the reason why the divorce rates are going up for people who are 
in their 50s, 60s, and 70s because they, they may want to bail before they are stuck taking care of someone. It would be much harder to leave at that point. Yeah. Oh, now, I've, been accused, I've been accused of being a marriage counselor. You know, people will come to me and say, hey, should we get married? I'll either say yes or no. But uh, don't you think that, that marrying the right person really helps to make the marriage last longer? Right? There are people who really shouldn't be married, but I'm not telling them to go out and get a divorce. I mean, if they have issues. They both have issues. And <laughs> no matter who they marry, they're going to have issues. So I say stick together and work on your issues together. And, um, you know, you find out, God, after 30 or 40 years that, that um, uh, someone gets sick and then you realize that the other one, I, I'm thinking of Newt Gingrich, you know, and, and um, his wife had cancer when he was Speaker of the House. And he divorced her when she was still in the hospital. And and so you really learn something about somebody. Nice uh, guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you learn that character is who you are when no one's looking and who you are when things aren't going great. You know, when the wife's happy and you got money in the bank and you're healthy, you know, it's easy to be a good guy. But when all that falls apart, you really find out what you're made of. So my question is, um, I, I want to ask uh you guys how did you two meet what 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 attracted you to each other uh that that's uh well so we met in graduate school and as I always, goes on her face by the way <laughs> as i always say uh the best thing i got out of graduate school is meeting julie uh by, by far uh but what attracted me to julie is that she's got a uh fantastic sense of humor and uh uh what i what i found is that uh uh, I, I read something that she wrote that was very funny. I thought to myself, I want to get to know this person better. And then I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, and I'm not sure Julie always likes me to say this, but when we went on our first date, we went out to dinner, and within about 20 minutes, I knew I was going to marry her. Really? Yeah, within, literally within 20 minutes. Um, and then, because I had a tendency to rush into things, I then didn't call her again for two weeks. Two weeks went <laughs> fine. We're done. It's not happening. Because I wanted to make sure it was real. <laughs> Self-assured man, right? So what were you thinking, first of all, after uh, uh, when you first met him? Did you know that you were going to marry him? And what did you think when you, you didn't call back in two weeks? I really liked him. I don't know that I thought I was going to marry him immediately. And then I thought, oh, he didn't like me. He didn't call me for two weeks. <laughs> right. What a jerk. <laughs> but then uh, I made up for that. I yes. Made, you know, made, made and of course, he was, he was tall, dark, and handsome in those days. <laughs> and I don't know what happens, but, you know, we age and we don't look the same we did. And that's the, part of the problem with Alzheimer's. You know, it's not that they forget who you are. It's that they they think back at what you look like when you were 25. And, you know, you were told dark, dark and handsome. And now you're bald, ugly and fat. And it's like, well, who the heck are you? You know, it's and and it, it's sad, but that that we can grow old together. My wife and I always, uh, you know, when we were dating, says, wouldn't it be nice to grow old together? And he, we woke up one day and we're growing old together. I mean, she she's disabled from a stroke. I'm disabled from an ankle surgery, and and we're we're trapped in our bed sometimes. And you just say, look at us. We got grandchildren and a great grandchild on the way, but we're happy, you know. And this is <laughs> this is what we wished for. And um, you know, uh, when COVID nineteen is not here, we travel a lot. We get to to go on vacations and that's a life. We're not complaining. We have a great life and we're very fortunate for it. Because what's the alternative, right? 
bouncing from relationship to relationship, relationship looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> well, I mean, what you're saying, Dave, is that you know you, you don't you can't predict what's going to happen in the course of a, a lifetime. You know, the, over the decades in a, with a relationship, and that's part of the adventure. And that people need to be able to 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 turn toward one another and and, and lean on one another during that adventure, rather than kind of say to say to themselves, I'm 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 done with this ride. I want to get off and, and, and try try you know try my luck elsewhere. That you know the, 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 the pasture isn't isn't always greener on the other side, as they say. But really and truly there are there are people who either believe that it is greener elsewhere or uh, as is in the case of many women who who divorce uh, men when they're in their sixties, they decide they don't want to be with a man at all. They don't want to be with anyone. They would they would rather be alone because mm-hmm. They don't want to, have to take care of anybody, and they've take, they've been maybe a caretaker their entire lives. And not not talking about a, a family caregiver, but they've been the kind of person that tends to take care of other people. Maybe they took yeah. care of siblings, maybe they took care of their own parents, and they have a spouse. Family. And then they don't want to do it anymore, so they'd just rather be alone. So they got to get rid of this this schlub who they're with, and so they can be alone. And I'm I mean I I hate to say this, but it's true. You know, not every man out there is a great guy like me and you. You know, that we, we don't grow on trees. And many women, after, you know, bad relationship and another bad relationship, but, you know, they just give up on men. They turn to women, you know, and, you, got, you know, I can't blame them. <laughs> no, I mean, there are plenty of women who just want friends. Yeah. Um, friends. But, I mean, I'm in a, situ- I'm in a situation where um, my boyfriend is bi-coastal. And he yeah. arrived... Like coastal, coastal, oh, and I'm he arrived. Sexual, right? No, <laughs> he wouldn't want one to even think that. Okay. So um, he arrived in New York this this year on March 11th, and he had a flight booked for the end of March. He usually spends two weeks here, three weeks here, but you know it's back and forth. COVID happened, and he's been here since then, and I'm used to having some time alone and some time with him, and so now here we are living together. This is what it feels like, uh, (laughs) I've been married. I've been in a relationship (laughs) for 32 years. I had a marriage for uh, for nine years before that, which was a good marriage. This is better. What? This is better, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. Uh, make sure Eddie doesn't watch this show, okay? <laughs> no, I mean, he knows it's different. I mean, there will. Steve was the love of my life. And Eddie knows that. Now, given that, Eddie and I have a good relationship. No question. So you don't want a husband, you want a boyfriend. Right. I don't I don't need a so husband that, again. Uh, uh, Barry? Yeah, so along those lines, in, in our book, we talk about a societal trend called LAT, living apart together, which <laughs> many, older, many older couples do. So they want to have a companion. They want to have someone to go out with. They want to have someone to have sex with, but they don't want to live with a person. They don't want to deal with their daily habits. So they have their place you know, this person is their place. They're 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 a monogamous couple, but they're they, exactly they have different residences. Yeah, and a lot of these the, independent living places and assisted living places, they both have different buildings, uh, 
not not necessarily buildings, but different rooms in the building, you know. Yeah. Right. Same thing. Exactly the same thing. And that seems. I, to, I, know, I, I, I have a question. I mean, a couple is together, and the wife or the husband becomes. There are signs that, you, like you said, someone might be diabetic, and they see it down the road. But don't they think about themselves growing older, and that somebody might be wheeling them in a wheelchair, and that who's going to take care of them? Yeah, good point. It is. And a lot of times, that's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, I don't want to wheel him. Yeah, and, this doesn't happen to me. <laughs> and that. And then a lot of women have a, a strong social network. Men tend to not have quite the same social network. So if something happens to a woman, she probably has some friends who would help her out. Whereas a man is often, and I'm being very generalized here, but more dependent on his partner to take care of him. <laughs> yeah, my first husband was like that. My That's first husband had to remarry very quickly. He was not not good on his own. Yeah. I was going to say, what other challenges of long-term relationships, Barry? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, so, I mean, so the, let, let's talk about the challenges of relationships in general. Right. So, you know, cu couples, ha you know, like, they're, they're like, you think about them like a corporation. There are certain things they have to get done. So they, there has to be... They, they have to be able to communicate with one another, both emotionally and, and communicate just about the details of life and, and you know, deal with logistics. They have to make, make decisions. They have to handle adversity, that, you know, things that are unforeseen that, that, uh, to which they have to then adapt. Um, right. They have to have boundaries so that they, there are boundaries uh, between the couple and other family members and the couple and the, the rest of the world. But but also between the individuals, so they're not, they're not just kind of one mass, but they're they're two people who who are sharing life together. Mm -hmm. So those those same challenges exist a little later in life. However, because at that point, a little later in life, when people are not working full time, when they're in the house more, when they may have more health issues and and, and therefore need a little bit more help, they, they necessarily are more dependent on one another. And if they don't have the basic skills of communicating, problem solving. Uh, care, you know, just just basic affection for one another. It becomes very difficult to handle the challenges of getting older together. And a lot of times, what happens to couples is they're busy going to work when they're younger. They're busy raising children, social uh, climbing, or whatever. And when they get to the last third of life, they have forgotten how to communicate well with each other. Mm -hmm. They have just a kind of business relationship rather than have true intimacy. So that's what we talk about in the book, how to regain that, how to build that so that it's better. Yeah. And the whole idea of love and meaning after 50 is we want people to, to negotiate what does it mean for us to be with, with one another? What does it mean for us to, you know, to share a sense of purpose going forward in life? What do we, what do we want our lives to be about? And that when, when spouses can, can share a common purpose, then it, it you know, really brings them in much closer reliance with one another. Yeah, I mean, I think the sharing leads to a different kind of caring for each other, not just caregiving, but a, gen a genuine caring about their well-being and the direction that their whole life is taking. Yeah, and we've seen couples, for example, with regard to retirement, I worked with this couple where um, when they came in, it was a, in a crisis moment because he'd been planning for decades to move south after his <laughs> retirement. 
never talked about it with her. She had book group, friends, you know, uh, religious institution. She was dug in. And the two of them were really at a crisis because they had never discussed their wishes and their dreams or anything about what yeah. would happen in retirement. Wow. I mean, my, my best friend uh, loves being a grandmother. Her husband just wants to golf. <laughs> and he will travel around golfing. And she is hunkered in in New York City and Philly. She she goes back and forth with the grandchildren. And they've they've made this agreement. If he goes to North Carolina to go golfing, she'll go down for a weekend or a week and he'll be there for a couple of months in the winter and it works out because they've agreed on it. Does that, communication. Work, does that work, Barry? That doesn't mean they're not in love, does it? No, it means that they've, they've, they've had a conversation to, where they've come to an agreement and meet each, other, each other's needs through this agreement, and then they, they, have, uh, they, they have a relationship where they're apart, but also other times when they're together, and so they have the right balance, and so long as it's agreed upon, then that works fine. However, let's say this, this, they live like this for a while, but then one of them falls and breaks a hip, or one of them has a stroke, or one of them has, has some, some sort of other health scare, then that whole balance gets tipped, and then they have to figure out a way to, to adjust. And that, that's often where uh, couples struggle in that, in that period of adjustment. Hmm. See, they, it, this was a case where he did have cancer at one point, and then he stayed in New York, cared for him during treatment. I mean, they're very much in love. They've, they've been in love since they're 13, you know. So, so that they're means in their seventh. They have a strong that means they have a strong enough connection so yes. that they, they can negotiate this arrangement where they're not always exactly. and and it works for them. Yeah. Listen, we're going to take a quick break, so we'll be right back. Don't go away. Anytime we suffer loss, we grieve. And a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial, I don't believe this is happening, anger, oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening, to a form of bargaining, how can I get out of this, to depression, which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide, and then finally, finally, after you realize you have no more control over your situation, and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings, that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. 
Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Our featured speaker is a best-selling author who has written numerous books and articles. He's a speaker, life coach, and host of Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program. He frequently appears on television and radio shows all across the country and has even shared the stage with Suzanne Summers at Harvard. But his most important role is caregiver to his beautiful wife, Charlene, for over 22 years. Please welcome Mr. Dave Nassani! I want to share with you a love story. In a couple of weeks, my wife and I will be celebrating 44 years of being together. My wife, Charlene, and I had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship, and marriage for the first 21 years of our lives together. One day out of nowhere, my wife has a headache, the headache of her life. She suffered a massive stroke and it left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. And in that moment, our world turned upside down. I gotta tell you, the next two years was like a living hell. I just just didn't know what to do. do. I felt guilty most of the time. I became a caregiver. I didn't even know what a caregiver was. I was experiencing the same problems that other caregivers experience. If you don't take care of you, I can't take care of her. Well, that's why I wrote the book. Now I can teach other caregivers. I'm living proof that you can thrive as a caregiver. My wife and I travel now all over the world sharing our story. One day, life is gonna call upon you to be the captain of your boat. Heck, you might be saving your own life. Thank you. And we're back with Barry Jacobs and Julia Meyer and my co-host, Adrian Guberg. I'm Dave on the Caregiver Dave Show. And so uh, this is a great conversation. I don't think we ever had guests talk about this, just relationships, you know, and marriage and stuff like that, divorce. So um, when when a couple does have to look face-to-face at a caregiving relationship and, and whether they want to do it, whether they don't want to do it, many people don't want to do it, but they do it anyway. I mean, I, I think of um, this friend of mine, she had married this, the love of her life, and he turned out to be an abusive partner, was cheating on her, so she left him. And uh, he loved her so much, he realized that he was a jerk, and then he begged for, for her back, and he, he kept bugging her and bugging her. Finally, I guess there was some love in her heart. She took him back. And then two weeks later, the guy has a stroke or a brain aneurysm or something, and now he's permanently disabled, and he's like a child in a diaper and can't talk, drinks from a bottle. And she did this for like 10 years. Now, is that love or what? So, I mean, every story doesn't always have an unhappy ending. He finally did die, and now she's, uh, you know, dating and having fun, and she developed a brain tuner, but she overcame it. So, uh, you know, I don't know if I could do that. But then again, you don't know what you have no. to do or can do until it's it's time to do it, right? Exactly. I, I, I can do this, but here I am doing it 42 years or 20, <laughs> 24 years later. That's a long time. 
I mean, Dave, I, I mean, what I would ask you, if you, if you came to, to, to our, you know, to one of our clinical practices, I think what we would be interested in finding out from you is we would hear your caregiving story, and then we would ask a question, and the question is, Dave, you sound like you do some wonderful things for your wife. Help us understand better. Why do you do what you do for her? And what we'd be asking you is, what are the values that you have that lead you to choose to be her caregiver? Because as you've pointed out already, not every, every person who has a spouse who becomes ill hangs in there. Some actually leave, some abandon the person. So the fact that you stay, the fact that you choose to be with her means that there's certain, certain meaning that you have about this caregiving. And, and, and so when we ask that question to folks, some, they'll just say, well, I love her. And, and we'll say, that's great, but what do you mean by love? I mean, what, do you, what does it really mean to you? And then people will tell us stories about how they, this person has took very good care of them and they want to give back to this person, or they feel they're a very religious person and they feel like they're doing God's work in this world, or they have moral reasons that, that, uh, that inspire them, but that there's some compelling motivation which keeps them involved in the caregiver role that is the kind of essence of the sense of mission about the caregiving they do. So that, you know, so that happens. We always want to find that out from caregivers because in many ways it's the kind of the key to understanding who they are. Yeah. Now you've been on my show before, I think a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, and uh, this isn't your first book. Um, how is this book different from your first book and why did you write this book? Uh, so this is our, this is, uh, between the two, this is our fourth book. So, uh, so I, I wrote a book on family caregiving that was a kind of how-to book published, called, it was called The Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers. It came out in 2006. And your caregiving experience comes from where? Um, my caregiving, I have various caregiving experiences. So I grew up in a family where my dad had brain cancer. Wow. And my family went through an extremely difficult time. That was when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um Later on in life, uh, my 50s, uh, we actually, Julie and I went through a nine-year period where we first took care of her dad, then we took care, who had uh, multiple strokes, then we took care of my stepfather who had Alzheimer's disease, then, then we took care of my mother who had uh, vascular dementia. It was nine, nine years, one, one after another, and that, that ended about three years ago. So that kind of gave us a good long stretch of, of, uh, of caregiving there uh, that really informs a lot of the work that we do. But so we wrote, we wrote, you know, I wrote The Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers. Julie wrote a novel called A Fleeting State of Mind. Then in 2016, after our kids had, you know, had, we were empty nesters, our kids had, had left, we wrote a book called AARP Meditations for Caregivers, which uh. is more about these one-pagers, one-page stories of, of, about different caregivers finding positive yeah. meanings in their caregiving. And now we just have this, this book that just came out uh, in August, August 4th, AARP, Love and Meaning After 50, which is, is more about how to preserve these relationships that we think are so essential for well-being as people age. Wow. How did you uh, get a, uh, in touch with AARP and negotiate with them to do all of this? So I, I've been writing uh, a, a monthly family caregiving for a column for the AARP website for um, about eight years now. And uh, so, you know, I was kind of a known quantity at, at AARP as a family caregiving expert, part of their family caregiver expert panel. And then they actually 
you know, the book, their, their book person came to, to, to me in like 2015 and said, hey, we want to do a book of meditations for caregivers. Would you like to write it? And then I said, well, I'll do it if, if Julie will do it with me. Mm-hmm. And they agreed. And then it became more of a, more of a kind of a marital uh, endeavor mm-hmm. rather than where I would be, be sitting at a computer and she would be off doing something else. So, <laughs> and so, you know, so we, we've had a longstanding relationship now with ARP and, and that's, you know, a great mm-hmm. platform for us. So what do you hope uh, that this book will accomplish? We hope that it will help couples to be kind of mindful about their relationships and and want to make them stronger, address issues. A lot of couples don't think of the second half of life as a developmental time, but it really is developmental. We have so many challenges, Mm -hmm. so many life changes, and a lot of loss and grief. You know, even when someone retires, there's loss. There's loss of that cohort. You know, there's just, there's so much loss, big and little. And so, and so many other things that happen. So we want couples to talk to each other more, to share their feelings more. I can't tell you how many couples I've worked with where um, one of them loses a parent and that person is very emotional about it, but the other one thinks they're being supportive just by saying supportive things, but they're not grieving with their partner. Mm-hmm. So we, we help people, and in the book we have um, just sort of an outline for how to listen and how to share and be patient with each other and, and non-judgmental. And we just want to increase the, the closeness, the sharing, because there is so much positive um, in, in a good relationship that's lasted a long time. You have so much history together, and there's so much potential for what the end of life can bring in a positive way. And so it's just really to help people make the most of this last part of life. I mean, I see the. I see there's so much growth at this point. I think so many things are changing. There are just totally new phases that are starting year by year. It's it's interesting, very interesting. That's great, Adrian. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, people people continue growing, and uh, if they can grow turning toward one another rather than growing apart, turning away from one another, it's it, it's so much better. It's the, it's the factor here with with my boyfriend of communication, good communication. Good. And you're happy and you have each other, you know, and yeah. you support each other. <laughs> so um, what uh, we're almost out of time. What what have we not discussed that uh, you would like to talk about? Well, I mean, the, the one thing that I think has been very challenging for a lot of couples uh, nowadays, older couples, is is they've had uh, younger family members move in with them, or they've had uh, they've maybe had financial obligations to help younger family members who've lost jobs, and that has direct bearing on the couple's relationship. I mean, certainly you want to, you know, the couple isn't isn't so um, uh, you know solipsistic that they don't want to help family members. They want to help family members, but again, there has to be a balance between. Their, their involvement in the lives of children and grandchildren versus their, their involvement yeah. with themselves. Their relationship, their couple's relationship has to be primary and, 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 and that has to be kind of understood. There needs, there needs to be a boundary there where, where the couple is, is the center of, of, of their everyday concerns. Yeah. It has, does that have to do with aging parents too? Because usually you'll get one spouse who will uh, think that that parent 
is of utmost importance, even above the spouse. And the other one will say, no, 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 <laughs> we come first. So all conflicts like that. <laughs> that happens all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, as Barry just said, we see the couple as a team. So even if one of them has an aging parent and they have a vision for how they want to care for that parent, the couple, the, the partner and the couple has to respect their vision. But they also, they have to listen to each other. So if you take the couple and you have them talk to each other about what's important, what's meaningful, what do they both need, and then how do we best take care of mom so that we stay, you know, in, a good, in good stead while we're doing this care. And it could take a long time. It could be years. Right. We have to keep, keep meeting about it, keep talking about it, making sure we're okay. And if we need something from outside of our you know, relationship in order to make that okay, like a helper, a, an outside caregiver, another family member, it's just really a matter of communicating. Just to, just to air what Julie said, when, 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 I'm not gonna say I was taking care of my mother when she was declining, I'm gonna say when we were taking care of my mother when we were declining. She. Uh, when, when she was declining, excuse <laughs> me, no, we weren't declining. <laughs> But, you know, Julie was actually better with my mother than I would be. I had no patience for my mother. Julie was, an, was really could, could, could talk with her. And my mother would listen to Julie in a way that she would never listen to me. And wow. I was eternally grateful for Julie's uh, support, her involvement, and her, her commitment to, to helping care for my mom. And that, to me, deepened my love for Julie. It made me feel like, God, if, what a wonderful woman I, I'm with. She's <laughs> the mother of all people. It was hard. <laughs> well, did, you have, did you have a typical mother-in-law relationship, which, you know, that's where all the mother-in-law jokes come from, um, yes. <laughs> which wasn't great, right? You no, know, it was very hard. I mean, I did, I could deal, I could say certain things to her that Barry couldn't. We tag teamed it and we would talk about it outside of our visits with her. So that we could accomplish what needed to get done. Yeah, we plotted strategy all the time, that's what <laughs> yeah. we did. You say this, I'll say this. We'll get her to do this. Not quite like that, but yeah. Well, I have, I had the situation where my husband was diagnosed with cancer in 2005, and my mother-in-law was diagnosed with lymphoma in 2007 and came to live with us. So I was taking care of two cancer patients, and I was the one who who really handled her better because it was a Jewish mother-son thing, you know, and I was in the middle of managing it. We know anything about that, Adrian. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So Barry, how do we get a hold of you if somebody wants to buy this book or all your books uh, and, um, and Julia? So I, I would recommend they go to our, our new website. It's loveandmeaning.com. Loveandmeaning is one word, .com. It features our current book, AARP, Love and Meaning After 50, but it also has information about our three previous books. And are you like marriage counselors? Uh, what, how do you, do you get involved with coaching or anything like that? Uh, we, both, we both see individuals and couples uh, and, and both of us tend to see folks that are older. I, I, I see, mm -hmm. I have, I have, my oldest client now is 91. Um, wow. So 
So, um, you know, and I, you know, we love working with, with folks that are older, but also folks that are middle-aged and, and, you know, more mature and dealing with some of these issues of what, what do they want their lives to mean? Right. So you mean to tell me there is love and light after 91? <laughs> you know, that 91-year-old is sharp as a tack and, and she worries it. She, she is probably more on top of what's going on in the world than I am. I mean, she's pretty amazing. She, she's also a good warrior. So she, yeah, I, mean, I, I can't even imagine being 91 because I know how my body has let me down thus far <laughs> at 66. And uh, but then you know I'll hear about someone like that, or I'll see somebody who's who's elderly and they're still active, and they're and I said I wish that could happen to me. So you know I I eat right, I work out, and and part of me used to say don't take care of yourself too well because if you do uh, and you get Alzheimer's or something, you know you're you're too healthy to die and stuff like that. So I mean I don't know I. That's a whole other area, Dave. We'll do a whole other show on that one. Thank you so much for coming on, and sorry for the technical glitches that we had, which were many. But we'll edit this, and we'll give you a nice, clean show that you can share on your social media. And thank you again for coming on, and we appreciate you so much. Thank you, Adrian, week after week for coming on. How, how can we get a hold of you and find out more about the Caregiver Space? Adrian at the caregiverspace.org, and it's the caregiverspace.org. All the social media is on that page. Simple. And mine, I'm a caregiver. My name is Dave. It's caregiverdave.com. Go there. We've got free gifts for you to help you become a better caregiver, help you thrive and not just survive. And for the month of August, which is over. <laughs> Free uh, introductory coaching. But you know what? Because we're so close to August, if, if you call me up or you email me, I might let you slide under the door. So thank <laughs> you again for coming on, and God bless you all. We'll see you next week, same time, same channel. Bye-bye. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise. Like the birds will never sing